0: Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, and there are no other above you. I thank you and I praise you for your incredible love and mercy that you have poured out upon your people. I pray, Lord, that as your word is proclaimed, that you would take your word and do with it exactly what you want. And it will not return to you void. And we pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, so you got the new girl up here doing the stuff, the stuff that priests do. Um, So thank you all for your forgiveness and your patience. And so just smile a lot at me. So... (laughs) eventually, eventually. Before I start, I I want to um, just take a few uh, seconds here because I want to thank all of you for your prayers. Um, Robert and I, I'll tell you what, these last three years um, have have been quite a a struggle, but they've also been an incredible journey. Um, I started thinking when I was getting ready to to write down what I felt like the Lord was telling me, I started thinking, you know, I have not had an opportunity to personally thank you for your prayers. Growing up as an Episcopalian all my life, we always did the prayers of the people. You know, and we read them, and they were usually long, and so we'd, I'd kind of come and go in with the prayers of the people. But when you find yourself in a situation where the prayers of the people are not just a nice thing that we do in church, but it's something that's going to hold you together while your ship is shaking and cracking and the winds are blowing and you feel like this ship is not going to make it. And so I just want to thank you so much for your prayers, the prayers of the people. And when we do the prayers of the people or when we pray for people, I want you to know that those prayers are heard from our Heavenly Father. And those that you're praying for feel a strength and feel hope like I can't even tell you. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have gone through similar struggles and have felt those prayers of the people. Your cards, your notes, your emails, and all have been so, so much of a blessing. Robert and I went August and September through two really tough months with him getting his stem cell transplant for multiple myeloma that he was diagnosed with I want to say for almost four years ago. And he is doing great. And I know that not only is it the mercy and grace and healing touch of Jesus, but it is, it is your prayers. When I first got diagnosed uh, with cancer three years ago, it was the prayers of the people that got me through the very first year. But after a while, when I got diagnosed the second time with a recurrence, I was, I was kind of wondering, Lord, what's going on here? And finally, when I got diagnosed for the third time with a reoccurrence, I thought to myself, Lord, why did I go to seminary? (laughs) Now, I know that's a crazy thing, but those were three very hard years being away from my family. (laughs) Why? And I think the bishop just finally decided one day, you know what? We just need to go ahead and do this. We just need to go ahead and ordain her and get this over with. And, um, so I want to tell you that I am honored and I am blessed, um, to be now employed here part-time as one of your priests. And, um, and in whatever way that I can help, um, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm blessed to serve. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the beginning of another season of Advent. Year after year, we we celebrate with joy and excitement and anticipation about Advent. We have our wonderful wreath. We light candles. I was telling them earlier this morning that I know a lady in one of the churches that we were in who only came to church when all of the linens were purple because that was her favorite color. And so we always felt like we had that little short window there um, with her. and uh, But she loved purple. But the, the excitement in the air, I mean, you can feel it. Even, even some of the crazy people that go out on Black Friday, I mean, I've done that a couple of times. I'm telling you, that is for the strong and hardy. That is not for the weak and timid. But you feel it in the air. People get excited. They're starting to get, even people that don't go to church, people that don't know the Lord, they feel it. Because why? Christmas is coming. And that brings about some sort of hope, some sort of, this is going to be an awesome, awesome season. The season of Advent anticipates the second Advent, or the second coming, or the second arrival, so to speak, of Christ when he comes back to judge both the living and the dead. It is also a season, generally, that is celebrated with an activity of God in history, working throughout uh, the church through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's it's like a parenthesis, so to speak, of of all of Christian history. And it just sort of couples it together of the events of God's creation. Now, not that I'm changing the liturgy. However, although I did hear that there are some priests that are known to do that. (laughs) Somebody got that. But what I would like to do for the sake of illustration is I would like to introduce you to three Advents. Three Advents. Now, I just want people that have been really married and bonded to the two Advents, just to relax, just to relax, I'm going to explain this. But I'm going to use the tense, uh, grammatical tense, in the word come. And the first Advent is called Jesus came. The first advent, the first arrival of the Savior of the world, as we all know, is Christmas. That is when a bright light came into a dark world. And for the first time, the first time in all of creation, in all of humanity, new life, new life was getting ready to bud. It was a time of incredible excitement. Here we go. The second advent is he is coming. He is coming. As a result of the first advent of Jesus coming, as a result of that, our Messiah, our Savior, coming into this world, every person now has the opportunity Of having an Advent moment. An Advent moment. When Jesus comes into your life. When He arrives into your life. He continues to come. Although He came as a baby and was Lord at His birth, He continues to come every single day, in some way, into our life. So this is our second Advent. And then the third Advent is He will come again. Now, we know that in our Gospel text, as well as in Matthew and in Mark, that He will make a last Advent. He will make a last coming. He will make a last arrival. But when he comes on that last time, it's not going to be Jesus meek and mild. It's not going to be the little baby Jesus in the manger. It's not going to be the second advent where he continuously comes and touches us and feeds us. We know in the garden, for instance, when Adam and Eve departed and left God because of disobedience, God came then. He came to them. He came and he said, where are you? They were hiding. But instead, God continued to come to his people through prophets, through miracles, through events, until finally he came himself through the second person of the Trinity. The only problem with, with our gospel today, though, about this period of him not being here yet, is it doesn't sound very cheery, does it? It doesn't sound like how I started with the excitement in the air and everybody's all excited and, and you know, we get to wear our fall clothes and, you know, I got to wear my purple hat and all these sort of things that we we're excited about. It sounds like terror. It sounds like horror, death, sadness, tragedy, everything that could possibly happen. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like when it got bad, it got worse. It sounded like there was going to be nothing left. So what I would like for you to do is to allow me to do sort of a sermon Bible study. So what I want you to do is, I'm sure all of you have brought your Bibles today. I'm going to have to send out an email when I'm preaching to tell you that you have to bring your Bible. Because we're uh, very good up front. Okay, that's good. Would you like to join our church? <laughs> that's my daughter, so I had to pick on her. What we're going to do is look at Luke 21. So turn in your few Bible to Luke 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And I'm going to make just a I want to do a brief overview leading up to our gospel text today so that we can sort of see what comes before. And then also I will hopefully conclude with what comes after uh, by giving you just a quick little line about chapter 22. But if you look at those first four verses, um, which, you know, you can read those when you get home, but those first four verses are about the widow's offering. Now, you know, Jesus has been going these years, and he has been fighting this mental, physical, spiritual, emotional battle with the Pharisees, with those that are rejecting him, with the skeptics. And he's now to the place where he's coming to the end of his time on earth. And he's at the temple, and he's sitting there, and he's observing, because they're bringing in the money. The people are bringing in the offering. And you've got the very, very rich, and they're bringing in their bags of money, dropping them loudly in the box. And then, in the midst of that, he looks around, and he sees this incredible... Temple. Ornate. Beautiful. Gilded. Gorgeous. Real expensive. And in the midst of that drama comes this woman who has two just two coins. And she takes those coins and she puts them in the box. And she walks away. Don't you know that the heart of Jesus was so touched by that woman? Because he, being God, knew that that's all she had. But by faith, she also knew that God was going to do whatever he needed to do in her life to make sure that she had food and that somehow she'd be able to make enough money to get the food and the things that she needed. In the middle of that, Jesus sees the heart, the holy nudge upon this woman. Out of her poverty, she gave. Out of their surplus, they gave. Then we look at verses 5 and 6. This is the destruction of the temple, the very building that we're talking about here. Jesus is telling them, this building that you adore so much and have spent so much money on, making it just as perfect, because why? This is where God lives. There's not going to be one stone left on, upon another stone. It's going to be destroyed. It's coming down. Can you imagine or fathom if we were to walk in here next Sunday, drive our cars up, pull in there, and look, and there's nothing on this plot. There's nothing on this land. Every single building is completely torn down, to the ground, level, nothing. It's unfathomable. We can't even imagine it. Imagine that you wake up one morning and the phone rings and you find out that your, your child has been in a terrible accident. Would you please come to the hospital? So you go to the hospital and, and your child is dead. It's unfathomable. You can't imagine it. But you're looking at it and you know it's true. Or, can you imagine? You go to work. You've got a mortgage. You've got children. Your spouse. You've got all sorts of things. Electricity, water, all the things, everyday things of life. You go there and what's sitting on your desk? Pink slip. Thank you so much for your 39 years of service, but we don't need you anymore. That's happening every day in this country. Every day in this country, someone who has given 30, 40 years to a particular career has found themselves moved out. Unfathomable. Jesus, God, is telling them that what you see right now and what you're pouring your life into Right now, is not even going to be here. Verses 7 through 19. He talks about the signs and the, the persecution that's going to take place during this time. If you hold on to the name of Jesus, your family is going to bring you before the courts, he tells them. You're going to die. You're going to give your life for my sake. For my sake, let me read verse 17, 18, and 19. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. He's focusing on suffering. That when we walk the walk, and not just talk the talk, but we're disciples of Jesus Christ, there will be suffering. I remember that when I had my Advent moment, and Jesus came into my life, I remember that up until that time I had been what most would say was sort of a fun person. And, you know, that could mean all kinds of things. But it was fun, I can tell you that. In the evil, uh, pagan way, it was a lot of fun. And when I had my Advent moment with Jesus, and he came to me, and I saw in the mirror what he sees. That changed my heart. He changed my heart. And slowly, one by one, I started losing my friends. One by one, I started getting not invited to as many parties. Uh, there started to be excuses why we wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do particular things together. And I found myself in that in-between position where, you know, I need to go find me a new playground. I don't have any friends. Well, you know who my friends are. It's my family in the body of Christ. Those are my friends. That's my family. And that's a hard thing sometimes when our own families turn against us because we've decided to take the name of Jesus as the name By which we will live and die. Verses 20 through 24. He talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. He starts off in verse 20 when he says. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Then know that it's desolation has come near. Know that it's desolation has come near. In five Months, Titus completely leveled Jerusalem. 70 A.D., gone. Everything. And what else he did is he took horses and he put behind the horses these flat grates of iron with spikes and things in it. And he rode those horses up and down and up and down all of Jerusalem until it was flat. Nothing left. Those of us who, well, I have not. In my spirit, I have. Have gone to Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you even imagine the city, the city of God, the city that Jesus wept over because he knew people were just living their lives, going about their everyday business. And all of a sudden the destruction came. And now to our text, we see where Luke does a superb job of separating the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple um, the, the destruction, desolation in the near, right in the near future, but now he's going to the distant future. And he's going to talk about what's going to happen in the distant. This, he says, will happen. And it did. And now he's going to talk about what is going to happen in the future. In the middle. In the middle, now, of this horrible science fiction, almost sounding story, you've got to wonder what in the world Jesus then tells them a parable. It's like, I've got to lighten this thing up. Let's lighten this up a little bit. This might be getting too hard. Let's add a little levity to the story. No, no, that's not what Jesus is doing. But that's what it feels like because he says... Behold, let me tell you a story about the fig tree. And you're like, fig tree? My goodness, you're talking about just a tree? And then he says, and other trees. And and what does he say about it? He says, well, you know, you know that summer's getting near when you start to see the little leaves and things like that. And and then after the leaves come, then what happens? Oh, well, then, then we start to get like flowers and And then the next thing you know, we got figs. And then if you're not careful, you have no figs because the birds love figs. You have to watch out for that. But he tells this parable in the middle of prophesying the destruction of the world. Now that has to make you pause. As it says in the Psalms, Selah. And think about that for just a minute. Why? Why is he telling the story of the fig tree? Because it's the main point of the entire discourse. It's the main point. And this is what it is. We are in between this tension of Jesus coming in the first advent. On the backside, we've got Jesus who's coming back. He will be coming on the backside. And in the middle, the second advent, are the ordinary days. Are the days that we live every day. Are the days that we intentionally or unintentionally walk as a disciple of Christ. The days when we get up in the morning, we brush our teeth. No, we drink coffee, then then we brush our teeth. We have our breakfast, we get dressed, we go to work, we come home, we cook supper. Ordinary days, every day. That's where we are, brothers and sisters. We are like a fig tree. We're just ordinary people that because of the Advent moment in our life, we have become extraordinary. And we know the prophecies. And we know what's going to happen. We know it already happened like he said. Now we know what's going to happen in the future. What are we doing? What are we doing about it? Are we like those in the days of Noah? Eating and drinking and marrying and going about life. And all of a sudden, we're swimming with the fish. What are we doing in this time, in this moment, in this second advent, when Jesus continuously comes and comes and comes every second of every day of our life and says, do you love me? Do you know me? Do you see me here? I'm going to tell you a crazy thing. This is crazy, and it's going to sound just like me because it's crazy. When the second time when I was diagnosed with um, with the breast cancer that had found its little location, in one of the escapees that had found its location on my spine, the grace and mercy of God was that I fell down the steps and broke my back. Had I not fallen down the steps and and had a compression fracture in my back, they would not have found that breast cancer lesion, and it would have traveled right on up my spine. And my oncologist said, and it would have gone to your brain. He said, now, when we do brains, that's a whole different picture. That's what he told me. And the Lord said, I got you. I got you. You know, sometimes it takes falling down the steps. Sometimes, as as my aunt used to say all the time, sometimes the Lord has to, instead of getting the two by four, he has to get the two by six. (laughs) I said, wow. She said, and just start way back here and just sling that board right into my head. And I go, oh, right. Because you see, we're going about our lives And on this side, we've got our agenda. And on this side, God's got his agenda for our life. What are we doing? And finally, in the last verses, 34 and 35, this is what he says. Because of all of this, be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the earth. Every once in a while, I get the courage to watch a National Geographic on spiders. Ugh. I especially don't like the hairy ones. Those are the, you know, the big hairy. Yeah. Okay, I especially don't like those. But anyway... But the trapdoor spider, you know, his victims, they just walking along, minding their own business, you know, looking for something to eat, not even thinking about what's going on. That trapdoor goes up and bam, gone. History. Never seen again. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't let this happen to you because I've told you. I've told you. So let's do a conclusion review so that we don't get all messed up with the three advents. I asked the people at 8 o'clock, I said, "Uh, I haven't really confused you with three advents, have I? And they said, no. I said, well, I just want to make sure because three advents, that's really pushing it. First advent, first coming, first arrival, Jesus, Lord at his birth. A baby. What a glorious event. The angels are in heaven. They're visible. The shepherds see them. They're so excited they can't hardly stand it. They go flying into town. Don't you know people thought that they were out there, you know, sniffing whatever or drinking whatever. But they were so excited because they saw it. They saw it. Second arrival. Because of the death, resurrection, and ascension, and the arrival of God, He sent the Holy Spirit so that every single one of us will have an Advent moment where Jesus will come to us, and that door will be open to eternal life. Behold the fig tree. That's where we are. Behold. Francis. Brenda. Sue. Louise. Bev. Behold. These people. In their ordinary. Everyday lives. I'm coming. I'm coming to them every second of every minute. And I'm giving hope. And I'm giving excitement. Because I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to get you and I'm going to take you with me. Behold. And finally, the third. He will come in all of his glory. Oh, my gosh. I want to be alive and yet I want to be with him. You know, I want to be here when he comes because I want to see it. But yet I want to be with him, too. I think think it might be scary. I do. I think all that's going to happen before he comes back, I think it's going to be scary. I don't think our human frailty is going to be able to comprehend. I think that the enemy will be at his best with lies and deceit and deception and doubt. I think he will have his A game on. And I think it'll be a little bit scary. Every eye will see Jesus Christ when he comes. But let me read to you again. Let me read to you again what Jesus says when that moment comes. Verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise your head, because your redemption is drawing nigh. Look him in the eye, because he knows you, and you know him. Because you know why? In the second advent, you've been preparing For this very moment, you've listened to him, you've prayed, you've studied the word, you've said, Lord, show me the areas of my life that are keeping me from total commitment to you. So when you see your Savior, you're going to look him in the eye and he's saying, stand up, don't fall on the ground in shame. But there will be some who who will not be able to look at him. Because it says that he's coming to judge the living and the dead. Here's the challenge. What are we doing? What are we doing in the second advent? We've still got time. I love it. We've still got time. He hadn't come yet. But he's given us this moment. He's given us this time. And he is the God of redemption. Stand up. Stand up. Raise your head. For your redemption draws nigh. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you and praise you and we glorify you and Lord, we, we are frail and we know it, but because you live inside of us, we have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, living inside of these frail earthen vessels. Lord, give us the strength to take this second advent that we're in, these ordinary days, and allow us to hear and see and know. And give us the courage and the strength to prepare for that glorious, wonderful day. For we pray it. In the mighty name of King Jesus. Amen.